we as a church felt it really important to um, continue with Fill the City. And um, the reason that we felt that is that um, I think our message and, and so much of what God would call us to is to be a people of hope and courage. And that's really where I'm going to go with the message tonight is a people of hope and courage. And I'm going to pray and we're going to chat about everything going on in our, our society at the moment and what God may have to say to that. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would uh, fill us uh, in such a way with your presence and your power that we would be a people of real hope and real courage. That, God, we would be a people massively dependent and rested in you, people who know that you are alive and powerfully at work in this world. God, we want to encounter you and meet you as we gather together and sit under your word and worship you in song. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So um, it's definitely a time in Cape Town and the world where it's easy to be overwhelmed. Um, there are reasons to be overwhelmed, and I think there are two big reasons why we, we may be overwhelmed. The first one is that of fake news, that whatever is happening is being heightened in so many ways and by this reality of fake news. We've just come out of Mark, and we've realized that in Mark, uh, as we spoke about good news at last, we've, we, we've spoken about the reality that on our social feeds, our news feeds and everything, they're curated. People make money out of our fear, out of our anxiety, and out of our anger. And that they love to take the special recipe of ingredients that they know will make Ian anxious or angry and click on links and feed them to me through my feeds. That there's a lot of intentionality and strategy that goes into making sure I'm getting what I'm interested in and getting at what will trigger me in such a way that I'll act and do and click on links. I think that's the, the first reason, but I don't think it's the biggest reason at the moment. I think the second reason is that there are things in the world at the moment that genuinely do create anxiety, concern, and fear. And it's such a unique time that we live in. I mean, in my lifetime, there hasn't been a worldwide phenomena like coronavirus. I haven't had something that's caused us to go um, at, at national levels to see borders shut down and um, schools closed down um, across multiple countries at the same time. It's a very, very interesting time. And I've never lived through something like this. So it, it does produce a bit of anxiety and a bit of fear. And uh, what do we do about that? And then we add to that the complexity of living in South Africa. There are some very deep wounds and pain from the past. And um, we see that in our society of um, the biggest disparity between the rich and the poor and and massive inequality and uh, education that is struggling and all these big um, things in front of us that can be incredibly overwhelming. And then just this week, I heard a lot of my, not a lot, but a few of my friends who are involved in uh, economic reality saying that things have downturned massively in the last week at an incredible rate, and it's incredibly scary for people who, who have investments and who have invested in what that means for the economy as a whole, which affects everybody. And then we have Corona, COVID-19, which um, accounts for a lot of people not coming tonight. And uh, in the first meeting, it was interesting. There was a sense of like, should I be here? Shouldn't I be here? I'm not sensing it as much now. You guys are pretty committed to being here. And, um, and, and there's hand sanitizer at the door. What does that mean? It's like, I was convinced I should be here, but now they've put hand sanitizer out. What am I really like? What is going on? And where did you find it? Oh, that was like my first question. Where did you guys find that? I don't know where to find that. And so 
we have corona. And what I want to do now quickly is I just want to pause my message and I want to take a sidestep out of my message. And as a, your pastor and your leader of this community, I want to speak to us a bit about uh, coronavirus and our thoughts and how we're moving towards this and what we're considering. And then I'm going to step back into my message, but it's not a complete sidestep because it is relevant. But I just want to get practical for a while. I'm a pastor and a leader. I'm not a doctor. So I don't speak with the authority of a doctor, but we have amazing doctors and people involved in Common Ground who we've been talking with and engaging with. In fact, some of the AM doctors are actually part of the crisis uh, unit that met today to inform what Cyril Ramaphosa is busy speaking about right now. And so we have really high-quality people that have been helping us engage with this in sober ways. And as we've engaged with this as a leadership team, we realize that there are two massive pitfalls that we don't want to fall into. The one is fear and anxiety that induces fear and anxiety in people. We don't want people running around frantically making rash decisions, causing fear and spewing fake news and causing people to have anxiety where there is no need for anxiety. And that's the one side is I think that we can be a people who, hey, I'm just going to panic in this situation. I'm going to run around causing even more fear where I go. But I think most of the message is going to deal with this one, is that as Christ follows, we don't, we don't get to be those people. We're called to be a people of peace, people of calm, people who are full of faith and courage in who God is and what He's doing. So that's one pitfall. We, don't want, we want to go to full-blown fear. The second pitfall that we can fall into is to be naive and ill-informed people. And as a younger congregation, we can be like, oh, we look at the stats and we go, oh, wow, I'm well below the danger age. I'm absolutely fine. I'm just going to carry on living my life. Basically, I'm so young, this is like going to affect me like a cold, and I can just carry on. Wow, amazing. And we can find ourselves there and just bury our head in the sand and carry on as if nothing matters. But the problem with that is that it's incredibly self-focused. And actually, there are huge pockets of our society where if this hits South Africa quickly, we'd be deeply affected and hurt and harmed and even killed by this thing. And so there's the reality of going, oh, how do we make sure that we don't just serve ourselves in this, but how do we serve the most vulnerable in our society uh, to this? And so the, the graphs are showing that if this hits quickly and fast, what will happen is our healthcare system will be overwhelmed and the most vulnerable will be affected. Whereas if we can delay the response of this over time and, and try to make it happen as slow as possible, then that graph evens out over time and our healthcare system can catch up and deal with the quantity of people that they need to. So two vastly different realities. So there is a reality of us having to be incredibly wise about slowing this down. And a huge part of that is quarantine and making sure that we are cleaning our hands and making sure that we're engaging with each other properly. And I want to get incredibly practical about this and what we as a community are encouraging each other to do. So we're having conversations as congregational leaders and eldership teams across the city about um, at what point is it unwise for us to be meeting together and what is the implications for church and what does that mean for us as a community? And how do we do church in a faithful way, trusting God, but also in a responsible way that doesn't cause people to be infected who are vulnerable to um, what that could mean for their lives? 
And so we're engaging with that at the moment, and we're having discussions, and we're trying to figure that out. And we'll only have uh, clearer answers as this week unfolds. Um, but in the meantime, we should be washing hands. You shouldn't touch your face. It's really hard not to touch your face when someone tells you not to touch your face. I've been trying all day. I don't know whether we touch our face a lot or it's just because someone's told me not to touch my face that I want to rebel and touch my face. Um, if you feel sick, don't go to public moments, but rather stay at home so you know what it is. We're actually busy testing. We tested it this morning at Bosch AM, um, live feeds of the meeting um, so that people who are sick or more vulnerable can stay at home while we still do church. Um, we need to still greet each other warmly. It's really important that we don't treat each other like the plague, um, but that we actually still greet each other warmly. But there are ways in which we can greet each other warmly without um, making contact. So we're still warmth in our love and affection for each other. But unlike the Bible would recommend for this time being, we don't greet each other with a holy kiss. So that's not the route we're going to go. It's more fist pumps, elbows, and how you're doing from a distance. Um, and then what I want us to do now is going to be super practical is I want us to sign up for our communication channels because things are going to move fairly quickly over the next few days and we want to be able to contact you quickly. So the ways you can sign up, you can sign up to our weekly email, uh, which always existed. I think there might be a slide. If there isn't, you can go to our involvement desk and get the weekly email slide. Our Instagram is an easy way to um, uh, stay in contact on our Facebook page. But the easiest and fastest way in which we're going to communicate with this community around coronavirus is we've set up a WhatsApp group that you can join. And it's as easy as picking up your phone, opening your camera, and just scanning that code, and you'll be added to the WhatsApp group. And I'd really encourage everybody to do that right now. Grab your phone, scan the code, join the WhatsApp group. You can always leave later if you're finding we're spamming you. Don't worry, it's blocked. Only we can message. Not everyone in common... Ground Bosch PM can message you, and it's going to be reserved purely just for updates on Corona and what that means for this community and how we're going to be engaging with it as a community. And then finally, just a simple call to stay informed and full of faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and the fact that he is alive and in control of, of this world. So guys, that's coronavirus. Will we be meeting next week? We don't know. But if you've signed up to all the right community uh, communication channels, you'll know and we'll be able to inform you quickly. And it, it will be things like AM might meet and then PM might not. That's how fast things are meet, uh, moving. So stay informed. Great. Now I'm going to step back into my message and carry on just preaching the reality of this. So now with coronavirus, there is a weird like sense of our uh, city at the moment and us as a people. We're really dealing with the power going out. Now we're having to deal with corona. Um, what does that mean when schools are out and power is out? It's just, it's, it's going to be interesting what's coming. And we don't know what's coming. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what it's going to feel like. That's the reason I think we all have a sense of trepidation. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for this community? And so living in a space like that, but it can be overwhelming. But also living in a space like that as a Christ follower can add to be a sense of being overwhelmed because a day like this, full the city, comes and goes, hey, as Christ followers, we don't shrink back. We push forward and we charge the hill. And as we do that, as we engage with the city of Cape Town as Christ followers, with all these massive realities going on in the world and in our city, it can be overwhelming. You can feel like, hey, I'm just, we're just a small group of people facing some of the biggest things in Cape Town. And now they've added coronavirus to that. Can we just shrink back just for a season? Can we just dial back? And maybe just be a people who just hide a bit. 
But the reality is, as I've grappled with that sense within myself and that sense of, hey, I'm just a minority and I'm overwhelmed by the odds, I've come to quite an interesting conclusion as I've grappled with this with God is that we, as Christ followers, don't actually get to choose how we respond in a time like this. That we are called to be a people of hope. That there is a mandate on Christ followers to be a presence of peace, joy, rest, hope, not just in times like this, but especially in times like this. That we are the people who are most at peace, most at calm, and full of hope. And I'm not just making this up. Romans 15 says it so clearly. It, it really does show what it means to be a Christ follower. It says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Such an incredible piece of scripture. It's not saying, may you be a person of hope because of your situation. It's saying, no, your God is a God of hope. So as you trust in this God of hope, that his very nature, his very character, his very personhood is a God of hope. If you engage with, if you know, if you walk with, if you encounter this God, you will be a person of hope because you are encountering hope itself. You're encountering the God of hope. And it's not based on any circumstance or situation. It's based in your trust in him, a trust in this God of hope. And look at these words that as, may the God of hope fill you with joy, peace, as you trust in him. We're a people of joy. We're a people of peace. We're a people of hope as we trust in God or rest in God. I love that word trust. It's as we hand over our lives and our existence to him. We come to rest. That's the beautiful thing of handing over control. Like, Law and I will sometimes argue over who gets to drive the car, and sometimes we'll argue over who doesn't have to drive the car. Depends how tired we are. And that moment where you go, no, you drive, and Law takes the keys, and I get into the passenger seat. I'm like, oh, onward. Take me home. It's that moment of rest where we hand over control to someone else, and they, they take the responsibility. And so we have this God of hope who in and of himself is hope. We know that he's alive and powerfully at work in the world, that he pours out his spirit. And that as he pours out his spirit, he fills us with joy and peace. It's an external joy. It's an external peace. And as he fills us with his very presence, his Holy Spirit, what flows out of us is hope. Do you get that? It's not just the hope for you. It's not just that you've got hope, I'm okay. I'm, no, when people encounter you and experience you in our current situation, hope flows out of you. When they engage with you in conversation, when they speak to you, when they prod and poke to see what you're made of, what flows out of you is hope. No matter what situation or circumstance you find yourself in. And this isn't something you're generating within yourself. This is because you know enjoy and walk with the God of hope. See, this isn't a theory or a nice bumper sticker that you stick in your car, this verse, like, oh, God is a God of hope. No, this is the lived experience of a Christ follower. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower. Is that as I follow Jesus, know him, walk with him, he fills me with his spirit, and I am a person of hope, peace, and joy. But even given this reality of this is the lived and should be the lived experience of the Christ follower, 
I, if I'm honest, at times still feel like a tiny minority that doesn't have much hope as I face the big realities in Cape Town and in the world. And it can still cause me to shrink back and lose hope. I still find myself at times. I know that my God is a God of hope. And I still find myself shrinking back. And I think the problem is because I have a wrong perspective. Because if that is true, if God is a God of hope, I really shouldn't be one who shrinks back. I shouldn't be one who runs away. I should be one who leans in with great hope. But what I've realized is the disconnect is my perspective. Is the disconnect is that I think that the space we find ourselves in is not that somehow God's lost control and is not where I should be. And that we long for the, the promised land. And until we get the promised land, we can't be a people of hope. We can't be a people of courage. We can't be a people that trust in Jesus. Things aren't the way they should be. And once things are the way they should be, then, then I can be a person of hope. And we have this weird perspective. But actually, a biblical perspective, a godly perspective is to understand that the way that God works with his people is often to take that remnant people who know him, love him, trust in him, and to put them into situations and places where they need to be deeply dependent on him. Where, hey, if God isn't real and God doesn't rock up, we're in a lot of trouble because we're a really small group of people facing really big odds. And actually, if, it is a, if God isn't who he says he is and God isn't real, we're in serious trouble. That is the fertile soil of faith. And that's where God loves to put his people, in the fertile soil of faith. It's been that way since Abraham, since the garden, through God working with his people. He's always gone, I will put you in the fertile soil of faith where you will be needy for me and dependent on me to rock up. And you know what's crazy? is that the people of God fell apart the most, their hearts grew the coldest when they were in the promised land. It was in the promised land that they rebelled the most, grew the most cold, and God actually removes them out of the promised land and puts them again in a situation where they will be needy and dependent on him. And actually, in, throughout the history of the church, you've seen that the moments of greatest revival, the moments of God working the most powerfully, the moments where his spirit has been poured out the most profoundly have been those moments where it is a small remnant people, a group of the people of God on their knees going, God, we need you, show up. God, we can't fake it, we can't make it, we can't change it. We need you to do something in power. And throughout church histories, that has been the moment that God has done the most profound, mighty works. A dependent, needy, praying group of people. And what we're going to do is I'm going to jump into a verse that shows us that, that this is real of of God, that this is how God works with his people. You see, in Jeremiah 29, it's a verse we've come to know well. It's a verse that, that speaks of, um, of God taking his people into exile. So I speak of how the promised land wasn't always the best place for God's people because they often grew cold in that space. And Jeremiah 29 is a verse where we see God literally exile his own people into the fertile soil of faith, faith the, hard, the hard place of exile. I want to give us a bit of a context before we read the verse. So you've got Jeremiah who wrote the book of Jeremiah, and he's called The Weeping Prophet. It's a great book to go to on your Vision Sunday, The Weeping Prophet. But you're going to see why it's such a powerful text. 
And so you have this weeping prophet, and the reason they called him the weeping prophet was because he often had to bring the really hard news to the people of God. He was often the faithful prophet when, when every other prophet would say, God is going to change this. This is going to go well for you. You're amazing. He would come and go, guys, you really going to go through some hard stuff now, and it's for your good. And so this is one of those verses where Jeremiah has to do that. But as he does that, you'll see that God brings incredible hope. But then there were other prophets around the same time, a prophet like Hananiah, which was speaking false hope. And he was saying things like, hey, in two years or so, what's going to happen is you'll be fine. You'll be out of exile. You'll be back in the promised land and everything will be okay. But it was fake news. They even had fake news back then. It wasn't at all what God was saying. God was saying, hey, you're going to be in exile for a while. And you had a person like Hananiah saying, no, 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 it's going to be over soon. And the problem with Hananiah was that his hope was not in a God who's in control. His hope was in his circumstances being better. And actually, his hope was in the, the gifts of the promised land, not in God himself. And actually, he'd just grown accustomed to the comforts of the promised land. And his great hope was that one day he'd be returned there. Not one day he would experience the power of God. And he'd lost sight of God. But yet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, going, no, God, wherever you take, wherever you lead, my hope is in you. So that's a bit of context. Now let's read Jeremiah 29 together. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream do not listen to the fake news, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a hope and to give you a future and a hope. It's a wonderful verse. And the first thing that it tells us and the first reason it brings hope is that our God is in control. Our God is in control. That's the great hope of Jeremiah. Not that you, their circumstances would change. Hananiah was like, in two years, your circumstances will change. Jeremiah's like, no, in 70 years, your circumstances are going to change. But your great hope is that our God is in control of this. And he says this, um, we get that from the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Hannah and I would have been prophesying, this is not the will of God. This is a mistake. Don't worry, God will come to our aid. He'll come to our rescue. He'll bring us hope. And what Jeremiah says is, no, no, no. God himself took you out of the promised land and moved you into Babylon where you will be needy and dependent on him once again. So God's act of grace is to put his people where they would again encounter and need his power at work in their lives. And then God doesn't just take them to Babylon, but he gives them a here and now hope as they experience exile. As they live in exile, he says this to them, plant gardens, get married, 
get rooted in this city, live for its well-being. And as you live for its well-being and its flourishing, you will flourish here. You will not be removed from exile, but I will help you in exile. I will be with you in exile. But because you are in exile, you won't be able to make it on your own. You're going to need me. You're going to be dependent on me. And so he says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, on behalf of the city. Be a prayerful, needy, dependent people who trust that their God is the one in control. Praying people are people who've let go of control. Praying people are people who know that their God is alive and powerful at work in this world. Praying people are people who know that their God is in control. And so it is worthwhile to get down on our knees and go, God, we need you. Would you do something here? Display your power. Reveal yourself. We will be praying later on for the city and for everything going on. But he doesn't, God doesn't just give them the then and there hope. He doesn't just say, hey, I will be with you as you settle in the city. I'll be with you as you live for the flourishing of the city. And I'll be with you as you pray for yourselves and for the city. He also says, I have a then and there hope. I'm going to give you something to look forward to. I'm going to give you something that, that, that reminds you that this is not your final destination. You have a destination beyond the city of Babylon. And he says this, for this says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, from this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. There's this wonderful promise that he makes to the people of God. He says, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to return. I'm going to fetch you. I'm going to take you out of exile in 70 years' time, and I'm going to bring you home back to the promised land. Once you've learned what it is to be dependent and needy on me, once you've seen my hand and my goodness and my kindness, once again as you trust in me, when you're ready, I will come and fetch you, and I will take you home. This is not your final destination. I am coming to bring you home. That's the then and there hope. And you might say, well, Ian, that was for them then and there. That was their hope. And they were called to be exiles. What does this all mean for us? And I think what I can show us is that this idea of being an exiled people, a people who are put in situations where God needs to rock up, where we're needy and dependent on Him, is the lived experience of the modern-day Christ follower. It is, from the time of Jesus, what, what God has called His people exiles. That we live in a world that is not our final home. Look at what Peter 2, 9 says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see that? Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. This is the reality of Christ's followers. Those who know Jesus, enjoy Jesus, and trust Jesus, we realize that this is not our final destination. 
That there, we have a then and there hope. We have a future. We have a day in which Jesus will return and bring us hope. And he will restore all things to the way that they should be. And there will be no evil. It will be dealt with. And we will experience the full pleasures of being with the Father unhindered. We have a then and there hope. So we don't need to be overwhelmed. We don't need to scramble. We don't need to fight for our own identity, our own stuff, and our own way in this world and in this city. We get to be a people who are radically released to love others and to live for the for the world that is to come, not the world that is. We get to look so beyond ourselves because of the then and there hope that we have. And Jesus actually calls us then to a here and now hope as well when he says that we are to do good in the city that we are so that people see our good deeds and glorify God in heaven. That, that we're still to give ourselves to the city. That we're still to do good deeds in such a way that people go, why are you doing this? Why are you in these pockets of pain? Why are you here? We get to say, because our God is great and good. And look at his power at work in this world. And you know what? As those who've encountered the mercy of Jesus, those who live post the cross the death and resurrection of our King, we have so much more reason for hope and courage in times of difficulty than the Israelites did. We are those who have experienced the full weight of the kindness and mercy of God. We've seen it unhindered and full display on a cross and in a resurrection. We are those who, who know the goodness of God. We are those who know what it is to have lived in darkness, separated from God, and out of God's doing, being rescued into a people, into His marvelous light. We are those who have the very presence and power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. So much more should we be a people of hope who, who freely give ourselves to the good of the city, with a great hope in what is to come. I just, I love this verse. I love this verse that where there were, was once no people, suddenly there is a people. And they're not just any people, they're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. They are the very prized possession of the Father himself, gathered together by his doing, his will, and his design. And every tribe, nation, and tongue is going to be represented. There's a beautiful display of the work of God calling a people together whose destination and hope is certain. We will be with our Father forever and we will enjoy him together. And God is doing that. God is gathering his people. God is rescuing his people. God is calling his people. Our God is the one who is in control. The power does not rest in us. Our numbers, our strategies, our effort, our abilities, our great gifting, and well-worked plans are useless unless they rest in the reality that God is in control. That God is pulling and calling and creating a people where there was once no people who could be known as sons and daughters. It's a beautiful reality that this is what God is doing and it should cause great courage and hope to rise up in our souls. No matter how much corona happens in this city, no matter how much poverty there is, no matter how much there is a disparity between the rich and poor, no matter how much education is not where it should be, God is gathering a people who will know him, enjoy him, and experience eternity with him from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. Our God is in control.
And because of this, if this is what God is doing, what do we do? What is our response? I've hinted at it. We are a people of courage and faith. That we are to respond with faith and courage. That is what is ours to do. We exercise faith in the reality that God is alive and powerfully at work in this world. We are the evidence of that. This community is evidence of that. And every community of Christ followers in the world and across the city is evidence of that. But it is ours to exercise faith and bring faith to the moment. I unpacked a few weeks ago what faith looks like. But faith is active. Faith is an exercising and a stepping out in the belief that God is alive and powerful at work. We actually live our lives and make decisions in light of the fact that God is at work and God is alive. We actually step out into situations and moments as individuals where if God isn't real, it's not going to go well for us. Where do I get that from? Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith. Read verses 1 and 6 with me. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. See that? We rest in the hope. The conviction of things not seen. Oh, I might not see it, but I'm convinced. And without faith, jumping to verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And you have that incredible reality of Gideon and David and Abraham Deborah and all the heroes of the hall of fame of faith where Gideon strips down his army to 300 and faces the odds of hundreds of thousands, not with swords, but with jars of oil lit and a cry to the God as they break it down. And they, in that moment, are like, God, if you don't rock up, we are going to be slaughtered. Faith. It's an exercising of faith. The odds are against me but my God can. And you have David facing Goliath where not a single soldier would step forward as this giant stands before him picking up a few stones, no armor, going, God, you can. You're alive. Show up, please. And he does. David exercises faith. Our numbers are not great, but we are a people of a great God and therefore we have hope to give ourselves to all the things that God would call us to give ourselves to. This is why, this is why we see throughout church history again, and currently in the reality of the church, people in some of the worst places in the world. People have literally said, where's the worst place in the world? I have faith for that place. Where are the hardest hearts in the world? I have faith for those hearts. Where's the most difficult task? I'm going to give myself to that. Because they've seen God for who he is. They've put their faith in him and they've stepped out in action and gone. And so we see Christ followers in the hardest parts of the world. Full of faith. Full of hope. Full of peace. Full of joy. As they give themselves to the things that God has called them to. Romans 15. I want to read it to us again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. People sometimes come to me and they go, should, should I immigrate? And I go, I don't know. How would I know? I think you're asking, it's a question of, is it, am I allowed to? I'm like, yeah, of course you're allowed to. 
Well, you were until Corona closed all the borders, but yeah, of course you can. I think you're asking the wrong question. The question is, are you being obedient to Jesus? Are you going where he's calling you to go? Or are you trying to find a promised land apart from the God himself? Are you trying to find somewhere which is easy, where you don't need faith, where you don't need to depend on God? Because God would call you, I don't mind where you go. I don't mind where you live. But what I know is as a Christ follower, God would call us to faith and courage and obedience and probably to the pockets of pain wherever we live and to go to all the hard places wherever we live. And actually, it's not about finding comfort. It's about following Jesus to where he calls us. Father, I pray that as we engage with Full the City and then get to shift gears now to all the incredible things you've done through this amazing initiative of, that we get to be a part of and what you've called us to. I pray, Father, that you would cause us to be a people full of courage, hope, and faith. That we would be a, a peaceful presence in an anxious society as we rest and trust in our God of hope. Father, would you pour out your spirit on this group of people and on us tonight, Father, in such a way that we experience your hope and are filled with your hope. God, we want to encounter the living God. We want to meet you freshly. Father, when we are feeling a little bit backfooted and a little bit anxious and a little uncertain about coronavirus and everything going on in our nation and we're not sure what to make of it, let us not be those who shrink back, but let us be those who are full of hope because you are in control. God, we love you. We trust in you. We need you. Thank you for this fertile soil of faith. Would we step into it and be faithful people in Jesus' name? Amen. What we're going to do now is, um, as we've looked at Fill the City and we've been journeying in this for four years now, we've been having incredible stories and um, testimonies of people being impacted by the different gifts, the five different gifts. And we have a lovely video now that kind of links the interactions between people and initiatives and moments that all actually revolve around our baptismal pool. So if you wouldn't mind turning your attention to the screen, um, we're going to watch that now. Each time we say yes to God, He takes a simple step of obedience and multiplies its impact as only He can do. In 2009, in response to God's call to plant this church deeper into our culture and wider into our city, Common Ground launched the Inner City Congregation. Little did we know then, that act of faith would become a catalytic force that would see Common Ground become 11 congregations by 2020. Throughout the journey, we've marveled at how when individuals say yes to the big as well as the seemingly small, it results in ongoing outward ripples of His grace and goodness to more and more lives across our city. One of those lives is Malibongwe, who was staying in the shelter across the road from the inner city congregation. He was unemployed and unable to provide for his family. One Sunday, he joined a meeting and was introduced to a loving community of Christ followers. They put him in touch with Common Good, the NGO that Common Ground founded to respond to social justice needs in our city. He signed up for their work readiness course, which restores dignity and hope and equips the unemployed with the skills they need to enter the marketplace. After graduating, Malibongwe met Nomfundo, a Common Grounder 
working at Common Good to help connect graduates to meaningful work opportunities. She set up an interview and Malibongo was hired as a groundsman for the Rondebosch Common Ground Campus. Having a stable job made a significant difference in his circumstances and we now see his faith in action as he consistently gives his best and is always ready to serve others with a broad smile. Malibongo is just one life that has been impacted by our efforts to fill the city through multiplying congregations and multiplying compassion and justice. And now, Malibongo joins us in serving others in the city. One of the ways he serves is through his work in preparing the Rondebosch baptismal pool for baptism Sundays. It is here that his story once again intersects with Nomfundo's. Many years before, Nomfundo's grandfather had asked her when she would be baptized. She visited him when he was 96, and his lifetime of faithfulness freshly ignited Nomfundo's heart and reminded her that we are never too mature for simple acts of obedience. The next Sunday, inspired by her grandfather's question, she was baptized in the pool prepared by Malibong. In that same baptism pool, on the same Sunday, two young sisters, Eva and Nina, aged 9 and 11, also made their public declarations of faith. Just as God had been stirring Nomfundo's heart, he had also been at work in theirs. Through the efforts of a praying mom, playing her part, they had been invited to cross the line of faith and follow Jesus through the waters of baptism. On the sidelines supporting them stood youth ministry volunteers, men and women who delight in introducing children to Jesus and nurturing the faith of young believers, the next generation of Christ followers, church planters, and city changers. Gareth, a deacon, was also in the baptismal pool that day, serving his local congregation by baptizing and praying with people. Today, however, Gareth and his family have stepped out on mission and are filling the city as part of our latest church plant on the M5. We were trusting that many people will come to faith, be baptized, and go on to serve God and advance His kingdom in their sphere of influence. Each of these individual stories are beautifully linked to one baptismal pool on one Sunday in just one of our congregations. If we could zoom out, just imagine what we'd see God doing in baptism pools across all our congregations. And through each small step of obedience, every act of kindness and contribution from thousands of common grounders across the city, each playing their part in filling homes, churches, communities, workplaces, and schools with the message, life, and fame of Jesus. So amazing stories of um, really people's lives being impacted through this baptismal pool. We have so many, we have 10 other ones across the city of Cape Town. I'd love to know all the stories and how they intersect, intersect and how the lives intersect. I've got a few more uh, things of feedback around what happened in 2019, and then um, I'm going to hand over to Rog. But it's, it's such an amazing reality that in 2019, we moved into the neighborhood of Langa. So we planted that church, that congregation. We've seen that grow from strength to strength, and it's been an incredible story. Another access point for people to hear the gospel message of Jesus, for him to be made famous. We also planted M5, and Steve and Candace and that team into the M5, and that's amazing. We saw pictures, 150 people meeting there on a Sunday who weren't meeting there previously. What's amazing is that Steve's been 
planting churches and involved in churches across um, Cape Town and, and other parts of South Africa. And he said he's never had an experience of planting a church like he's had in this one, where you, you've got the resources coming your way, you've got a team of people coming your way, and you've got an entire city of churches praying for you and for your success. He says it's, it's been such a joy and an incredible privilege to partner with Fill the City in this way. It's so life-giving, and it empowers him to really focus on building a community as we've released him to do that. That's part of what we've done for them. And then we just know in our community, I, I don't know what it is, but God blesses this community that week in and week out, we have people respond to the gospel. And when we make a gospel call and say, hey, who wants to respond? There is this unique and wonderful reality that we almost assume that people are going to respond. People don't respond. We're like, what's wrong? What's broken? We're just so used to seeing people respond to the gospel in this community and their lives transformed. We do baptisms regularly throughout the year. It's an amazing reality of people saying yes to Jesus in this community. Then amazingly, we have Common Good getting involved in the education space. We know that they've been doing collaboration schools. And the collaboration schools is such an amazing thing. The very fact that God would give us an inroad into government, into schools, where we get to shape policy, where we get to shape um, how schools are run. We get to coach and walk alongside teachers in schools like Dyser Primary in Bontehevo. And what's amazing is that that school has seen amazing change because of our efforts there. This In 2019, the grade 6 mass mark, our pass rate climbed from 19.7% to 62.5%. It's amazing that they outperformed the national average and they're a non-fee-paying school. That, that's compared to all the primary schools across the country, including fee-paying schools, and they beat the national average from 19.7 to 62.5 in their mass mark. God is giving us impact in the city of Cape Town. So social, societal renewal is our, our gift where we desperately want to see us link the connection between our work and our faith and the reality that we get to partner with Jesus in our workplace, that where we give the most amount of our hours and our life and our energy to, there is this reality that we should be shooting our faith there and that our faith isn't something to be hidden, but something that empowers and catalyzes the work that we're called to do, gives meaning to it, and, and is the very thing that is the greatest truth. It is the very thing that can knit together the fabric of the society the way it was designed to be. And we get to bring that to our work. And our very own Mike Day has been working along with a team to bring, a, bring about a seven-week course that really wants to get to the nitty-gritty of, of how do we empower people to live out their faith in the workplace full of confidence and courage, not, not scared to share their faith. And then we also know that we've been um, serving the city of Cape Town in the most wonderful ways in terms of we have all these churches that we get to partner with. Uh, we're not the only church in the city of Cape Town that is mandated to love the city of Cape Town. And we know that we've got so much to learn from all these churches, but also we have so much to give and so much strengthening that we can do. And we've seen this happen with breakfasts across the city and things um, uh, we've sent uh, church leaders and church planners from across the city on our advanced church planning course We've really been able to partner with people. We're taking the very best of our common ground resources and translating it into French and Hausa for people. It's an amazing reality that we, we're being empowered to actually go beyond ourselves. And then we've also seen that in TZN, our job readiness course in 2019, over, well, 700, uh, 703 lives were prepared for work. 
and that many of those people are either um, placed in meaningful work or further education. Incredible reality that we get to be a part of that. And then finally, we know that when we started uh, Fill the City, that the first thousand days of a child's life is incredibly important, early childhood development. And we, we, we funded research into this area, and that research showed that if there isn't nutrition, um, safety, or stimulation in those first three, uh, first thousand days of life, a kid can be forever stunted, never reach their potential. And that research has now been taken, and we now look at, we have 100 churches and 50 designated champions across the Western Cape teaching moms and families how to serve their children in the first thousand days with nutrition, stimulation, and security, safety, and love. This church is a part of that. We have that going on for new moms in this community. It's amazing what we get to be a part of, and, and because of Full the City, we get to serve way beyond what Bosch PM would ever be able to do on its own. And this is ours to own. These are our celebrations. These are our victories because of what God is doing in and through this community. I'm going to hand over to Raj to tell us what next. Wow, there's some really amazing stories there of uh, what we've been able to be a part of over the last couple of years. But we, we don't want to be a people that uh, are just about giving money. And so in a moment, we are going to be able to pledge. But we really want to be people that pray first. We're people that don't just uh, give finances. We, we give our hearts and our times and our whole lives we lay before Jesus. So in a, in a little while, uh, we actually are going to physically get up and pray together. And don't worry, if you're an introvert, you're totally welcome to uh, just sit by yourself and uh, just contemplate with God. And if you're new to the church or you're just exploring Christianity, don't feel like you have to try and fake a prayer. Um, you're also welcome just to listen um, to other people praying. But for the rest of us, if you are, are for it, uh, we're going to gather together and pray. And um, the three things that I hope that we can gather around praying, the first is, we can pray around Corona um, that the people that um, are in charge of leading and organizing will have wisdom in knowing what to do. Uh, we can pray that uh, people will be protected and, and healed for those that are sick. And uh, the second thing that we're going to pray for is uh, thanking God for what the work that he has done through our city, through for the city um, work that we've done. And um, the third thing that we're going to be able to do is just pray for breakthrough that God's going to be able to do in the next uh, year ahead of what we're wanting to see God being able to do more of in multiplying so many of the different aspects of the five gifts in the city. So um, I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we can just huddle in groups of uh, three or four. And maybe not everyone's going to pray, but um, certainly you can find you know, one or two guys that will pray in your group. So please stand, and we're going to pray. You might want to say hello to someone. So there's three options, Corona. Um, number two is giving thanks to God, and the third is uh, praying for things into the future. Go for it.
You make that your last prayer. Father, we thank you that you love it when your sons and daughters come before you and pray, where we bow our knee before you, we humble ourselves before you to declare you as the glorious and beautiful one. So, Father, we do thank you for the things you've done in our city, and we pray that your authority will be established over the city, that the goodness of your kingdom would prevail upon families, it would prevail upon work colleagues, it would prevail upon friends um, that we know. Holy Spirit, would you pour out your power upon our city? Amen. Can we take our seats and uh, you can grab those little pledge forms that are rounded thereabouts and one of the pens and uh, Ian's going to come up and give us a bit of direction. After both meetings when we asked people to pray, they all, the whole room burst into laughter and I have absolutely no idea I'd love to. so can you come tell me why you were laughing after this meeting okay either it was too short or you're making a corona joke okay um and guys what we're going to do now is we're going to pledge towards what we feel God has called us to as a community and as a church as Roger said multiple times if you're not part of this community you're welcome to pledge if you want to but you really must feel released from this moment for the rest of us this is something that the bible speaks of a cheerful giver that we're not to give under compulsion, that, that there must be no sense of manipulation or compulsion, uh, but rather your heart responding to what you feel God is calling you to. And we know that there's a spectrum of givers. We see in the Bible the, the widow who gives very little, but it's all that she has. And then we see in Romans 12 the gift of giving where people have some people have been empowered with much resources so that they can give much away from themselves, be generous away from themselves. And you'll find yourself somewhere on that spectrum. And there's an element of you getting with Jesus and going, hey, this is what I think I'm being called to and this is how I'm called to respond. How much should you give? I don't know. My question to you is what does it feel like to be obedient and full of faith as you move towards this? Great. So this over here is just an information card. On the back, as it said, you got where all the money goes. And um, if you have any questions about that, I'll be at the front if you want to ask me about it. Um, some of the ones where you see that numbers have dialed back from last year, it's because they've established and we feel like congregations are, are taking them on. And some of the ones with uh, bigger numbers from last year is often where we feel like there's still room to push and take that gift forward. Then over here is your pledge card. What we're going to do now is the band's going to join me up here. They're going to start playing a song. And what you can do is you can add your pledge to the pledge form while they start. And then when you're ready and you're done, you can, um, you can stand and sing with us. What I would suggest is that you fill this in now and hand it in now. Because uh, what we find is that the most well-intentioned people who say, I need to go and think about this, they get pledge form amnesia once they leave the door. And it gets forgotten about. But if you really do feel like, hey, I need to go and process with a spouse, or I just need to go and think and pray about this, then um, feel free to obviously do that. Um, but this is now a moment for us to respond to what we feel God is calling us to. So the band's going to play. Then we're going to fill in our forms. And when we feel ready, we're going to stand and sing with them one last song. Great. <laughs> 